Hi, this is Chris Nessie from the House of EdTech podcast. Welcome to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. I used to produce and edit the Google Teacher Podcast, hosted by Matt Miller and Casey Bell. You can enjoy the podcast once again, and be sure to visit the new website, chrisnessy.com slash googleteacherpod. Please note that any of the show note links mentioned in the episodes are no longer valid, but if you go to chrisnessy.com, dot com slash Google Teacher Pod, you can search the archive and check out the show notes for each and every episode of the Google Teacher Podcast. Thank you for your continued support, and may the Googles be with you. I'm Teresa Steger from the Principal PLN Podcast, a proud member of the Education Podcast Network, just like the show you're listening to right now. The opinions expressed are those of the individual hosts. Make sure you check out all the other great podcasts at edupodcastnetwork.com. And get ready because the learning begins in three, two, one. Welcome to episode 63 of the Google Teacher Tribe podcast, your source for the latest Google for Education news tips, tricks, and ideas you can use in class tomorrow. I'm Matt Miller from Ditch That Textbook. And I'm Casey Bell from Shake Up Learning. And in today's episode, Matt and I are going to talk all about G Suite templates, right? Teachers love templates. We love having something that's ready to go, pre-made, tweak it, low prep. It's going to help us uh, in our classrooms. It's going to help us engage our students and do even more with all of our favorite G Suite tools. So Matt and I are going to break it down. We're going to talk about how to create templates, how to share templates, and we've got a ton of examples. So hang on tight. We got a lot to share in this episode. Of course, we also have Google News and Updates and tons of feedback from our listeners, as well as a couple of things to share from the blogs. Matt, you ready to go? Oh, you know I am. Let's do this. So to kick off today's news and updates, I wanted to tell you about this cool program that um, kind of like a challenge that Google has put out that maybe some of your students might be interested in. Or either, either way, it's still sort of a cool thing to hear about. So it has to do with artificial intelligence. And, you know, sometimes you think of artificial intelligence as like robots taking over the world and everything. But, um, you know, Google has used it to and other places have used it to to forecast floods, protecting, you know, endangered animals, uh, helping with famine issues. There's lots of things that, that it's been used to do. And so now Google has put out this project, this challenge called the Google AI Impact Challenge. And basically what they're doing is having people apply to say how they could bring uh, bring about change in the world using artificial intelligence. And they even say, we don't expect applicants to be AI experts. Um, it's just basically seeing how it could be used and how it could be um, brought about to, to make change in the world. And so um, they're looking at some of the places that it's been used in the past, like wildlife conservation, employment, uh, wildfire prevention, infant health. You know, I, I love places where 
teachers and students can get together and leverage their learning to help others. And so if this sounds like something, you know, if you've got a student or a group of students in mind that you think could potentially be a part of this, you can go check this out. We found it on the the Google's keyword blog at blog.google, but of course we'll have a link to this in the show notes. So pretty cool thing, I think. Yeah, that's fabulous. I love love hearing about tech using uh, things for good, of course. Right. Well, um, mine's not quite as socially conscious, but hey, green hair <laughs> don't care. Which, by the way, I have had green hair before, actually several times in my life, and it was not on purpose. <laughs> actually, you, you were there for the blue hair incident, but green is what happens when you swim a lot as a blonde. So Yeah, for me, um, it would just be green head, and that's, green. nobody wants to see that. <laughs> oh, goodness. Okay, I digress. Yes. So this was the title of actually a pretty little viral post from the keyword blog, and I, I saw a lot of people sharing this. So this is actually an update to Gboard. And if you're not familiar with what Gboard is, it's a little keyboard add-on for iOS and Android that gives you um, some some different little capabilities and stickers and things like that. Well, they've just added this really cool way to create your own emoji that looks just like you. So instead of us all now creating the same bitmojis that sort of look like us, (laughs) you can use this and it actually uses machine learning and artistry you use your camera and then it starts um, trying to generate something that does actually look like you so with these they're calling them mini emojis but um, they've got you know all kinds of hair colors and hair types and skin colors and even you know I think some of the the complaints we've had is is the lack of choice and really trying to make something that looks a little bit more like you. So hopefully this is a fun alternative. So if you haven't tried this out, be sure that you download or um, update your Gboard application on your phone. Oh, I am totally doing this right after we get done. In fact, I was trying to do it really quick while you were talking. I was listening. But I was also trying to create an emoji and it's, yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to definitely have to dig into that one. That looks really fun. So here's the next one. We're, we're still kind of hanging on to a couple of these Halloween themed things, even though Halloween was last week, but there's still some really good posts that, that have come out recently. And so this one's called creepy images on Google maps and why they're actually not that creepy. So if you've ever seen you know, sometimes there are these uh, these posts that show up in my Google News feed that are, you know, like um, weird things that people have found on Google Maps. And so Google is kind of like debunking some of these things and saying, you know, like if somebody has an extra a- leg or a super long arm or there's some shadowy figure or even a plane in a lake, you know, sometimes you find these things and you're going, how in the world did this come about. Well, they're kind of filling us in on some of the, the ways. You know, like for instance, there's one where in Minnesota, it looks like there's a plane at the bottom of a lake and apparently it has freaked some people out. And, um, turns out that they said fast moving objects like planes sometimes show up in like one image. And so it makes it look like, and only very faintly because they're moving so fast. So probably a plane was flying by uh, during this satellite image. And then you've got, you know, another one in here where it it looks like there's some sort of like spiritly figure in Google Maps. And they said, nope, that one was really just because we left the camera cover on. 
<laughs> like lens cap issues. And they said there was teeny tiny holes in the cover. It let just a little bit of light in and it created this weird image. So, um, so yeah, it's, and then sometimes you have little slivers of people and yeah, they, they just kind of talk about some of the, some of the ways that they, and it's kind of a neat glimpse into how Google maps comes to be with the street view and with the satellite and everything. So, so that one, that one may be worth taking a look at. That's fun. That would make a great writing prompt for the classroom. Oh, that's true. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. So the the last thing we wanted to share actually has to do with the the activity dashboard, which is relatively new inside Google Docs. And I don't know about you, but I was actually just digging into this the other day. And apparently I was looking the day they released this update because it, it already looks different. So we have really just a new interface that they've added. But if you're not familiar with the activity dashboard, you can see this now in, um, I believe it's in docs, sheets, and slides. I don't know if it's, I, I don't know if it's in drawings, but all you have to do in your G Suite account, it has to be in your G Suite account and you have to be um, an owner in order to see this. So go to one of those files that's shared with other people, go to tools, click on activity, and you'll be able to see who's looked at it, who's, you know, like exactly like within the hour, um, who it's been shared with. You can see all kinds of stuff. You also can even get like what they're calling viewer trends. And it's a graph to show you. So if you want to see like, okay, how many times are people going in and looking at this? So my thought as a teacher, though, is like, okay, did they read it? Did they even open it? Did they look at it? <laughs> you know, so I want to pull this open and see what my students are doing, especially in those collaborative documents or those documents that you have given them. Hey, make sure you read this tonight, whatever it is that you can actually get a sneak peek and get more data than what you've previously been able to see in Drive too. So Drive will give you a little bit, but this this lets you see just a little bit more. So we just got this new interface, but if you haven't experienced the activity dashboard, it's pretty awesome. Yeah, that's that's cool. And we always do like more data as opposed to less data, you know, and if we can see those statistics, I know that's the stuff that is really, really interesting to us. So, um, so yeah, definitely check any of that stuff out that applies to you over to our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 63. Okay, tribe, who loves G Suite templates? I know I do. I love it when people give me templates to do anything. You know, there's tons of freebies and things that you can download online. But when it comes to teaching, your job is not easy. And anything that's going to save you time, give you new ideas and make just life a little bit easier. I'm a big fan of. And so that's why today we really wanted to focus on templates inside G Suite, whether that's docs, sheets, slides, drawings, wherever it is that you want to get a template so that you can create a, an engaging lesson for your students and use it, make it your own and save it all into your drive. And so today we're going to talk about how to brainstorm ideas. We're going to talk about how to create some of these, how to share them, because there's a lot of different options. And of course, um, dig into some examples. So you're going to get a ton of free templates in this episode. The easy way, of course, to use templates is if somebody has already created one and you use it, or if you modify it and then are able to share it with your students, then it's already set. But 
I don't know about you, but I kind of think half of the fun sometimes is coming up with ideas for templates of something that fits my students and that fits the content that we're learning in just the right way. And so I know after having made a whole bunch of these templates myself, and when we're talking about templates, really all we're talking about is you have created something in a Google file, be it a slide presentation. I know most of the templates that I've created are in Google Slides, and there are reasons for that that we'll get into, um, or in drawings or in docs or sheets or whatever. It's basically you've created something that you can share with other people so that they can make a copy of it. And so that could be uh, your students, that could be other teachers for them to use with their students. It could be personal for like productivity or whatever. And so, you know, basically for me, a lot of times when I brainstorm templates, I'm thinking, what is it that, what is it that I want to do or I want my students to do and how can I set it up? What are the parts that I need to set up ahead of time and have them ready and waiting for them so that when they open up this file, they're ready to go. So I start thinking about what are some text boxes that I can put in there? What do I want them to do? Do I want them to write? Do I want them to pick something out of a group? Do I want them to reorder and move things around? Because of course, you know, there are, are parts and pieces of lots of Google files that will let you do that kind of thing. Um, another thing that I think about when it comes to this is the experience I want students to have when I'm brainstorming. So a lot of times I will get inspiration from pop culture or from apps or from a variety of things. You know, it goes back to, and I know I've mentioned this on the show before, um, this idea I've been toying with a lot recently of you don't have to have the app to create the experience. And so for me, that's tied back to some social media platforms like, Instagram and Snapchat. I've created a couple of, um, you know, a couple of templates that mimic and mirror those experiences. And so I think, what is it that kids love? And how can I create that experience within those templates? So those are those are a couple of the things as I'm thinking through, like what I want to do on templates. Those are a couple of the things that, that come to mind for me. No, I love that. Those are great ideas. Of course, you know, as we're planning anything, we always want to come back to the learning goals. And it's really course, yeah. easy to get caught up in the tools. And and I know I'm very guilty of this, but, you know, I'm, oh, that's such a cool idea. How do I use that cool idea in my classroom? Okay, maybe that cool idea doesn't actually fit in my classroom, but, you know, or maybe it doesn't fit what I'm teaching right now. So really have to take a step back and always, you know, have that end in mind. What is it that you're trying to do? And to even do that before you choose the tool. And so I think that's that's also what's great about G Suite is we do have so many tools and so many flexible tools that a lot of times it, there is going to be a natural fit, but it may not necessarily be G Suite either. So we do have, you know, a tons of other digital tools at our fingertips as teachers, but you know, how to how to choose that and and once you have your idea, you know, where to go with it and and choosing the appropriate tool. Although I think I know the one that answers most questions. Mm -hmm. <laughs> most problems. The one even like hearing you talk, Matt, I'm like He's doing this in slides in his head right slides. now. <laughs> in slides. Yeah. It's almost yeah. always slides. Yeah. It is. And not to say that we don't still have lots of uses for the other ones. It just is 
so flexible. And, you know, like we've said so many times, the Swiss army knife, but we want to talk about how to create these. So, you know, you've got your idea, whether you're, you're building out a hyperdoc or you're building out some sort of, you know, click and drag type of activity, or like Matt said, you know, you've got some text boxes, you want kids to um, annotate or to add captions or to do different things with those. So creating that template, whether you're in doc sheets, slides, drawing, wherever you are, you know, keeping in mind that you probably want to have the document titled with the word template in it, just so that you remember. And when you decide to share it, like if you're going into classroom, that you're choosing the right one, because you might also be making some examples or playing with it. And I know sometimes like when I go into my drive, I have so many things with similar names that sometimes it kind of helps me just in terms of naming conventions, but also a big tip, um, that comes to mind is backgrounds. You know, we, right. we set up different backgrounds. Sometimes we use a background color in, in docs, you know, docs is a little limited with backgrounds and things, but, or maybe you're using tables or whatever. But one big thing that people struggle with when they start to create some kind of interactive is when you have a background, kind of like um, what I just went through with everybody asking about the Halloween magnetic poetry is that the very first one um, that I made, I did in drawings. Well, in drawings, the background is loose. It's like there and it's movable. And so especially the little kids struggle with that. And so if they're trying to move something, an object that's on top of another object, oftentimes they don't know if they're grabbing the right thing. So one thing that you can do in slides is take that image, upload it as a background. And that's really how you can lock it down. So I get that question a lot about you too. Like, how do I lock the background? And it's not really locking. It's really just like setting it as a background. So that's a really big tip, I think, too. Um, but, you know, you can create these and share these in different ways. We're going to move into to some of that in a little bit. But I, I will tell you, I do have a wish list. And we sort of hit on this when we've talked about Google Sites before. But in the old sites, we used to have the ability to create actual templates that, you know, we could use or our students could use, you know, that had a certain format with certain types of pages and things ready to go. And so I'm still crossing my fingers. We're going to get that for the new Google sites. Yeah, that would be really nice. And, you know, Casey just mentioned earlier that, of course, you can create these templates that students can use and others can use in a variety of different a variety of different Google tools. But just like we were saying earlier, it seems like Google Slides is the one that I always seem to come back to. And when I'm creating templates, there are a few reasons that I really like them. And I was kind of making a little bit of a list. And so here are my top four reasons why I think Google Slides is killer for making templates. And number one is the one that Casey touched on earlier, that you have the background that you can set. So uh, very simply, what you can do is figure out the parts of your template that you don't want people to move around, that you want to be fixed, and just design those onto a slide. Then go to File, Download as a an image file, whether it be a JPEG or a PNG file, and now you've got a picture of that slide. Just take that picture and set that picture as the background. And now all of those things are set into place. And so having that fixed background is good. So that's number one. Number two for me is that it's great for a class collaboration in that if you take a slide presentation and you share it with a class, each student can have their own individual slide. And that's like their one little piece of digital real estate. 
but they can go, if it's their one piece of digital real estate, they can go all over the neighborhood, you know, and go down somebody else's street and go to their piece of real estate and go check out what they've got. So it's really, really good for that. Number three is that slides does give you a ton of design flexibility. Because if you create in sheets or if you create in docs, you know, docs is so linear because you type text in lines. You know, sheets is based on the grid that you create with your cells. But you can do all sorts of design things with slides that you can't do with those others. And then the fourth one is that you can create master slides. You know, this is this is a little bit more of an advanced trick, but you can find the master slide under the slide menu. And what's cool about it is that if you pop open that master, you can create a variety of different pre-created slides that students can add with the little plus button where you add a new slide. But if you notice right next to that plus button, there's a little triangle drop down menu where you have all of those master slides. And Every slide presentation comes with almost a dozen pre-created slides, but you can delete those out and create your own. And then students are able to drop in these, these different pre-created um, master slides. It's almost like, you ready for this? This is going to be like Inception type stuff here. It's like templates inside of templates. I don't know if I like went way too deep there, or not, but um, but really the the ability to use those master slides is pretty cool. So those are the big reasons why I think Google Slides is is really excellent for for making templates. If of course it is the right fit, and like Casey was saying earlier, choosing the appropriate tool is key, and Google Slides isn't always the appropriate tool. It's so funny because we. We just did two complete episodes on Google Slides, and we still can't stop talking about I it. So know. I was like, uh, I promise this is not an episode about slides, but right. we yeah, keep exactly. coming back to it. So let's move on and let's talk about the sharing piece, because um, I will tell you, I I get <laughs> I get a lot of requests to view and um because I share templates and Matt shares templates on on his blog, you know, and so we'll share them there so people can go make their own copies and save it to their drive. And even when you set things up for people to do it in that manner, you still get those requests. And so I just went through the whole Halloween magnetic poetry thing. I think I had a thousand requests to view because teachers didn't know how to share correctly. They weren't making (laughs) their own copies. They were sharing my file with their students. And I'm sure that's... I'm sorry. So the students were, let me make sure I understood this. So it was like they shared it with the students and then they pulled up your template and the students didn't know what to do. So they clicked that get access button and they were sending you like a bajillion emails. Right. Right. So I did. Yeah. I'm just getting those notifications on my phone all day on Halloween. Um, Some before, but Halloween was the big day, you know, and Anyway, I was like, oh my goodness. Okay. Somebody, somebody, and I, you know what? I bet money, the people listening to this episode are not the people who are doing that. So um, here is our public service announcement. Friends, don't let your friends do this anymore. Make sure to teach this. Those of you who teach teachers how to do these things, File, make a copy, y'all. That's it. <laughs> File, make a copy is your best friend. And even when you put that at the top of the template, um, it gets overlooked. They don't always use I even have templates that just have a link. Click teachers. Click here to make a copy. And it doesn't happen. So um, I'm, I'm on my soapbox just a little bit because it, it, it is one of those things. But it's something we all need to make sure that we're teaching, especially to the beginning users. So 
when you do create those templates, there are lots of ways to share them. Whether you are specifically sharing it through Google Classroom with your students, or if you're sharing it on your website or somewhere else, like Matt and I typically do. And I've added a couple of links to our show notes on on some ways to do this. So the first one is how to create that template link, which is quickly becoming one of my favorite little URL hacks. So if you don't know this, um, it's really cool. And I know we've talked about it in previous episodes, but for instance, if I'm sharing a template on the blog, so I'm, I'm putting it out there for anyone who wants it, wants to use it. It's not something that I know the people and I'm just clicking the share button. It's not something that I'm just pushing out through Google Classroom. This is something that I'm putting out, um, a little bit more in a public manner, but when you um, set up your template, make sure it's anyone with the link can view, right? So that's what I'm doing because if I put it out there for edit, we would mm. never have the template again. <laughs> it would right. get destroyed. Yeah, so anyone with the link can view. And then in the, the at the end of the URL, you want to delete the word edit and replace it with um, template slash preview. And so once you do that and you hit return or you copy and paste that link somewhere, it's going to generate a little preview window with a button that says use template. And so that is is quickly becoming one of my favorite ways. However, I will tell you it's not perfect on mobile, which is the only reason why I'm still using some other methods too. But that template link is really handy for that purpose and it lets you see it. So one of the problems with the force a copy, which is another way that you can do that, is that you don't get to see what it looks like before you make the copy. So that confuses a lot of teachers. So I really like the the template link. Um, I do also have directions in the show notes for force a copy, which is essentially just changing the word edit to the word copy. And when they see that link, they'll get a prompt to make a copy. And that has saved me <laughs> a lot over the years. But um, of course, like I said, everything that we're talking about is in our show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 63. Of those options that Casey just shared with us, I still think the easiest one is if you have Google Classroom, it is so easy to get students copies of templates by just attaching it to your assignment. You know, so you just make your template wherever you made it, um, an attachment in Google Classroom and use that little drop-down menu and it says make a copy for each student. And really what templates kind of are is they're kind of like digital photocopies to some extent, only they're way more interactive and much cooler. <laughs> you know, we don't want to like totally make digital photocopies. Just just this analogy, it's kind of like your um, your template that you created or your original is kind of like the original copy. You know, if you think back to photocopier days and you've got your original that you take down to the photocopier. Making copies, the Steve man and the Sandster making copies. Of course, you want to set that as view, just like Casey was saying, because if you don't, it's kind of like handing your original to a student and then they start writing on it and they think, oh, well, this is my copy of it. No, this was my original. And you want to maintain that <laughs> because, of course, we've all probably done that before. And you get one of them back and you realize, oh, my goodness, that was my original. What was I doing? And you've got to do emergency surgery with the whiteout on it. I think probably the easiest way to avoid all that and just the simplest way to get those to students is if you use Google Classroom. You know, Just attach the, uh, the template to your assignment, use the little drop down and go make a copy for each student. And so 
that's, that's where you go when you're ready to share them. Now, if you're looking for ideas of what other people have done, because sometimes it's just easier when you've seen what other people have done, or you start to get a feel for what's possible and what, what has been created before. Casey and I have a ton of examples for you out here. Um, so you've got, you know, like the magnetic poetry that Casey was talking about where, um, you know, you're moving words onto the screen. You've got the, the Instagram stories, one that I was talking about where your students start with the template and you add a photo and you can add some videos and create something like that. So I think sometimes when you go look at some examples a, you can use those sometimes if they're a really good fit for what you want to do. But B, sometimes it jogs your, maybe not jogs, that's not the right word. Inspires. It, it, there you go. Yeah. Yeah, we'll go with inspires. I like that. Yeah. It inspires your creativity to, to try something different. So, um, so yeah, there's tons and tons of examples in here. Yes. Be sure that you go back to the show notes because, you know, even if you haven't looked at the hyperdocs templates we've got links there we've got links to learning menus and all kinds of fun stuff some of my favorite um ditch that textbook posts are in here with some graphic organizers and things like that so um don't miss out on all of the freebies in this episode in the show notes at googleteachertribe.com slash 63 there's a letter in your mailbox hey you know what this is all your mail hey maybe i'll give you a call sometime You've got mail. All right, let's dig into the mailbag. We've gotten lots of messages from all of you. And so we've picked just a few of them. We get lots of them and we try to feature as many of them as we can on the show. And the first one we've got for you today comes from Alan Appleby. And he says he listened to episode 59 about Google Photos and tried to take an animation. You know, this is like an animated GIF into a slideshow. And he says that when, while he can embed an animation into slides, it doesn't animate. And I've had this happen before too. I've actually had this happen in front of groups that I've presented to. And I expected something to be an animated GIF and then for it to move and it didn't move. So he says, can you tell me if I'm doing something wrong or if we just have to leave it in present mode to see the animations? Um, so there's a couple of things on this and um, Casey backed me up on this if there's anything else, but you know, if you try to just insert a, an animation like that into a slide presentation, just like a regular old picture, a lot of times it won't work. Like the animation won't work. It'll just look like a still image. And so the one way that seems to be the most, you know, the, the, the way that seems to work the most, and again, it isn't a fail-proof plan, is to insert the image through the URL. And so if you go to insert image in Google Slides, one of the options you know, in the drop-down menu is to insert it with a URL. And basically what that means is that that picture exists somewhere out on the web. Like it is a part of a website someplace. And then you're able to just grab the link to that image and stick it in. Now, the problem with that is that you have to have a place to put it. And if you try to put it in Google Drive, sometimes it doesn't work. So it's kind of a tricky thing. But I think your best bet is probably to use the buy URL option. If you can find it someplace online or if you can upload it someplace. Casey, does that pretty much cover it? 
Yes. So the the animated images, the GIFs have to exist somewhere online for that inserting by URL to work. And that's the only way that they'll actually animate. I have had a few like glitchy issues. It's not always perfect, but for the most part, that should work. And I've had this question so much. I actually have a blog post on this that I threw into the show notes on how to insert GIFs in docs and slides. It's pretty much true across across G Suite that that's how you're going to handle it. If you try the download upload option, it's not going to animate. I, I remember trying that years ago when I was trying to figure it out. I was like, okay, somebody tell me how they're doing this. And I so I had to go figure it out and and I, I wrote this blog post to help other people. So um, go try that. And if you're doing something else, let us know. But just going off of, of what you shared in the question, that's that was our guess. Moving on to our next question. This one actually came from two different people, but it's essentially the same question. So I have um, Stacy Larson and Matt Dill who both are asking about the ability to lock a Google Forms quiz so that students can't open other tabs when they're taking a quiz. And we've been asking for this feature for years now. And Google announced actually back in the summer that they were going to release an update that would allow us to do this. Um, it is it has not been released yet. So, Stacy, you haven't missed anything. Um, everybody's still talking about it. There, it. It is in beta, so there may be a few people who actually have beta access. But um, at the time of this recording, anyway, it's still not available. One thing I do want to mention is it will work through Google Classroom and it only works on managed Chromebooks. So if you're you're looking forward to it, but you don't have both of those things, um, just keep that in mind. I don't want anybody to be disappointed, but that's that's my understanding anyway of how it's going to work. So the next one we wanted to share, this is this is something shared by Jay Bizzari from Rockridge High School in Taylor Ridge, Illinois. And he talks about these interactive spooky stories that his public speaking class is doing, which is pretty neat. And so basically what they've done is they've created a collaborative Google Slides presentation where each student has a has a slide and he used the table of contents option that Casey was talking about where you can link to individual slides. She's talked about that in a previous episode before. And basically what they do is they use a tool to record the students. You know, um, a couple of options to record on slides are, of course, you've got something like Screencastify where you can record either with your webcam or record your screen, or you can even do shorter ones with a Chrome extension like the Alice Keeler webcam record Chrome extension. Either one of those will let you do that. But basically what he's done is he's had these public speaking students record these little short videos and then design their slide so that the video is part of the slide. And then you're able to go watch each other's things. And I really like this because it, it does provide a place where everybody has access to everybody's stuff and then they can comment on them. It's a really pretty cool thing. So we do have a link to that in the show notes if you want to check out the example that Jay shared. That's really cool. So I love it when when we have people sharing from the tribe the things that they're doing and they include links so that we can see what it looks like. Right. Hint, hint. Um, <laughs> so <laughs> our, our last uh, mailbag question here comes from Neil Gibbs. 
in the UK. And so I will be reading this, but not with a UK accent. I hope that's okay. <laughs> I, will, I will just imagine. I'm just happy I can pronounce the name. So um, <laughs> I love the podcast and enjoyed listening to a wealth of knowledge you provide each time on the podcast. I have a question regarding Google Docs. Is there a way of having some pages set up to be portrait and some set up to be landscape? I have an ebook that my students are working on through Google Classroom. The Google Docs I have set up just seems to allow the document to either be portrait or landscape and not a combination. And he seems to be really frustrated with this because he kind of needs both. So, Neil, to answer your question, no. Um, in, in Docs, you cannot set that up to have um, one orientation on one page and another orientation on another page. It's, it's sort of an all or nothing idea. And it's actually all or nothing even if you went into slides, which is actually my favorite way to create an ebook. And um, that, you know, you can change the size of the slides, which means you could change the orientation and make them any size you want. Um, but you may have more luck in slides just because you could make a custom size. So maybe something that works more, um, I guess, for what they're creating that may not just be that regular eight and a half by 11, but I don't know. I don't know your plan if you really want it to be printable or something like that. So um, those are my thoughts. But of course, if anyone in the tribe has other ideas on how to address this problem, please um, share that with us and with Neil. Let's take a moment to talk about what's been going on on the blogs. And you know, there there's always something amazing happening when you're following people online. And I have so many favorite bloggers. And I actually get a lot of ideas from the communities that I belong to. And so the blog post that I want to share, I would love to take full credit for it, but it actually um, came from a post in the Shake Up Learning Facebook group. And we were all just discussing our favorite formative assessment tools. And so I put this together just into a, a listicle here, but 20 formative assessment tools for your classroom. So there's probably at least one or two on this list that you have never tried or maybe never experimented with. But you know, you're not just limited to the usual suspects, um, forms and, and quizzes and Kahoot and, and some of the, the usual ones that we've all been using for years. But take a look at this and see what new digital tools you could add to your toolbox. I also wanted to take a moment just to mention that the Google certification courses so that I teach, Level 1, Level 2, and Google Certified Trainer, they only open twice a year, and they're going to open this month, November 20th. So if you want to learn more, you've got a two-week window to enroll once those open up, and that's um, at getgooglecertified.com. You can learn more and find out all about it. Real quickly, the, the blog post that I wanted to share is also one that I can't take credit for because this came from California educator Howie Hua, who wrote a guest post on my blog, Ditch That Textbook. And it's called Ditch That Lesson Planner with Google Slides because Howie uses Google Slides to do his lesson planning. He says that it seems like every year he will buy a paper lesson planner and think this is the year. It's going to happen. And after a little while, he just reverts back to Google Slides, in part because it does make his lesson plans searchable. 
And he can kind of follow the same template. Oh, we were talking about templates today. <laughs> and kind slides. Of follows, yeah, <laughs> and slides. That's right. There you go. But he kind of follows the same template. And um, he can actually share them with other people. And people can comment inside of them. So if you want to check this post out, he shares some of his tips. You've got some examples, some ideas of the kinds of things you can put into your lesson plans in Google Slides. So go check that out. And any of the other links, again at googleteachertribe.com slash 63. So there you have it. Templates using G Suite for your classroom. How to brainstorm them, how to create them, how to share them, and even some examples that you can pull from and modify or just use right out the, the gate. So hopefully this has been a really practical, useful episode for you. Um, and of course, if you've got anything to share related to this, we would love to hear from you because we do love to hear from the tribe. Hashtag better together. And so definitely do shoot us a message over at googleteachertribe.com slash feedback or on the GT Tribe hashtag on Twitter. Yeah, so I had fun in this episode. I, I think this was a great thing to think through and to talk through. You know, I always feel like that's part of our learning process and why it's great to have a podcast partner so that we can we can talk and we can share things together. And so I learned a lot and I hope you did too. And we can't wait to see you on the next episode. So we will catch you next time. Bye, y'all. Thanks for listening to the Google Teacher Tribe podcast. Keep up with every new episode by subscribing on iTunes, Google Play, or Stitcher, and by visiting googleteachertribe.com. Get in on the conversation on Twitter by using the hashtag GTTribe. Until next time, keep harnessing the G Suite power, and may the Googles be with you. So I just had to share that this week I stopped by the actual Google Teacher Tribe headquarters and I brought my lunch with me. And as soon as I walked into the lunchroom, Matt had the nerve to tell me the following. Now, the problem with that is that you have to have a place to put it. And if you try to put it in Google Drive, sometimes it doesn't work. Thank you once again for listening to the Google Teacher Podcast Archive. For the latest on Matt Miller, be sure to visit his website, ditchthattextbook.com. For the latest on Casey Bell, be sure to visit her website, shakeuplearning.com. And to keep up with me and get the latest in education technology, be sure to visit my website, chrisnessy.com. And I invite you to listen to the House of EdTech podcast.